Good afternoon, and welcome to special coverage from St. Louis Public Radio of Missouri Governor Mike Parson's State of the State Address. We'll also have the Democratic response from Missouri State Auditor Nicole Galloway. I'm Sarah Fenske, the host of St. Louis Public Radio's talk show, St. Louis on the Air. And in addition to welcoming our listeners in St. Louis, Rolla, and the Hannibal area, we also welcome listeners of KCUR in Kansas City, KBIA in Columbia, KSMU in Springfield, and KRCU in Cape Girardeau. We'll hear from Governor Mike Parson in a few minutes. In the meantime, we're joined in our St. Louis studio by St. Louis Public Radio political reporter Jason Rosenbaum. Jason, welcome. Thank you for having me. And we're joined by our State House reporter, Jacqueline Driscoll. She's in the House chamber where the governor will deliver his speech. Uh, Jacqueline Driscoll, welcome. Thanks, Sarah. They just finished the pledge. Great. So I didn't want to interrupt the Pledge of Allegiance. We definitely <laughs> to want to hello. give deference to that. Uh, we're glad you're here. And Jacqueline, I know this is your first state of the state in Missouri. So set the scene for us now that they're done with the pledge. What are you seeing? They One, one moment. They just removed the colors from the chamber. Uh, so the chamber was still quiet as you're asking me that. Uh, right now we've got dozens and dozens of lawmakers on the floor. I believe mom- moments ago they did already bring in the senators. This is one of the few times where uh, senators and members of the House will be in one chamber to uh, listen to a speech from the governor. Um, They're just kind of milling about right now, uh, headed to their seats. It looks like there's dozens of people in the upper galleries here to see what the governor will say in his second state of the state address. And you described the upper galleries of this room. Um, This is a pretty ornate room with just some solemnity to it. Um, What are you seeing as you look down on, on the people here? Well, uh, it it looks pretty similar to what I see every day. I know that you all don't see that every day, but it is, you know, the massive house chamber. All of the representatives are in their seats. It it, it appears as though they are taking role right now to make sure that um, all of the members are in their seats. There is, at the back of the gallery, uh, two massive wooden doors, um, and that is where the governor will enter as he walks down the aisle. He'll be greeted with a lot of pomp and circumstance. He'll be shaking a lot of hands and greeting all of the members that are in the chamber before he addresses the podium to give his speech. Now, Jason Rosenbaum, you were there last year for Governor Mike Parson's first State of the State address. How was that speech received last year? I think it was well received because he he set the tone for what his legislative agenda was going to be in 2019. Every time you encounter Governor Mike Parson, you'll often hear him talking about workforce development and infrastructure. And those were the broad themes uh, behind that uh, 2019 address. He got a lot of that agenda completed in 2019. So I think what I'm going to be looking for is how he advances beyond those two kind of broad policy areas and maybe starts talking about other things. Now, last year, it felt like there was just a lot of excitement around this particular event because it was Governor Parson's first year after taking over for Eric Greitens. And Greitens had left the office in disgrace after facing criminal charges and and feuding with his own party. I imagine he got a pretty warm reception from lawmakers last year. I I would say so. Even the Democratic response from Senate Minority Leader leader Gina Walsh was, was not as harsh as we'll likely hear from State Auditor Nicole Galloway, who will likely be Parsons' opponent in the 2020 election. If I had to to guess, 
I, I, I think that there's some expectation that he's going to be talking about crime prevention. He may be talking about licensing, especially for veterans. And he, he may also be talking about, you know, workforce development and infrastructure again. Those are some of the things that I, I heard from some lawmakers that he's really told them about what his agenda is going to be for the 2020 session. And lawmakers were very excited to have him come on board, but they've now been working with him for more than a year. It's a new session. Jacqueline Driscoll, overall, what is his relationship with lawmakers in in both his own party and in the opposition at this point in time? Well, I did just want to comment. um, They are uh, introducing the state elected officials, um, and the chamber gave applause to all of the elected officials, but we heard actual shouts and cheers for state auditor Nicole Galloway, who is challenging Governor Mike Parson as a Democratic opponent in the uh, gubernatorial election. Um, but as to your question uh, regarding Parson's relationship with lawmakers, he does have a supermajority in both chambers, so it is expected that uh, the members will try to you know, appease his ask uh, as as we will hear later today, and and help lay out more of his priorities, um, because obviously their their intention is to hopefully get Governor Parson reelected. Um, he works closely with uh, members of his party and leadership. The only thing that I've really heard, um, you, you know, anything that separates the two is uh, some of the work that Governor Parsons did with uh, the mayors of the four largest cities in Missouri. They talked about gun reform, and and he did support some types of gun reform. Um, Speaker Elijah Har says that that's not going to happen. We've also heard from Senate leadership that they don't intend to uh, support any type of gun reform measures. So that's really the only thing that I've heard where uh, Parson and uh, the Republican leadership may have different approaches. Hmm. Now, Jason Rosenbaum, he's obviously also a much different person than Eric Greitens. And at the time that he was elected, he was elected lieutenant governor. It's a very low profile race. A lot of us just didn't know very much about him. Tell us a little bit about his background. Well, he is from Polk County, Missouri, which is kind of in southwestern part of the state. He was a sheriff before he was a state representative, and then he was a state senator before he was lieutenant governor. And that's probably given him a little bit more deference to the legislature than former Governor Greitens, who famously came in railing against career politicians and continued to rail against them when he needed them to pass his agenda. Um, I, I do think, though, that there probably will be kind of some policy sources of conflict even among Republicans. Jacqueline mentioned the whole issue of gun restrictions. I think even when he sounded out support for fairly modest things like keeping guns out of the hands of juveniles and domestic abusers and even talking about red flag laws, that got kind of a lot of pushback from the Republican caucus. And he had to go on some conservative radio programs and talk about how much he uh, supported the Second Amendment. Um, and, you know, there's also some angst about the, the low-income housing tax credit, which is still frozen even after the Greitens years. And I think that there's some differences of opinion about what the governor should do with it. I don't expect anything about the, the low-income housing tax credit, but it will be interesting to hear what his specific plans are on crime. Do you think the low-income housing tax credit is something that still is too hot for him to handle in terms of the controversy that had surrounded uh, Governor Greitens' theory that this was what led to his downfall? Uh, that's, that's one possibility. I think that 
you know, from talking with him at, in 2018, he, he said that he wanted the legislature to make significant changes to that program. Those changes didn't happen in 2019. And now a lot of advocates for that program, which really does do a lot of good, especially for people that need high-quality housing, um, want him to restart it. And he has the power to do that as governor. So the question that I think is on a lot of people's minds in the legislature is whether any chances of making changes to the program may be moot if the governor restarts the program without any changes. That's going to be something we'll be looking out for as the session goes on. Uh, You're currently listening to special coverage of Missouri Governor Mike Parson's State of the State Address. We're expecting the governor to um, come on and speak here in a few minutes. I'm Sarah Fenske, the host at St. Louis Public Radio, and we're glad to be joined by our sister stations. That's KCUR, KBIA, KSMU, and KRCU. I'm joined in our St. Louis studio by St. Louis Public Radio political reporter and Statehouse reporter Jacqueline Driscoll is in the field there in Jefferson City. Jacqueline, I imagine people are still continuing to sort of mill around the room there. Um, Has anything happened since we last checked in with you? They are doing some introductions right now. They uh, introduced the heads of several state agencies right now. They they just introduced First Lady Teresa Parson, where she got a standing ovation throughout the chamber. Um, and they are indicating that the Sergeant of Arms will enter uh, through the back doors. Um, and we will see who he is going, what what is going to be following. Um, right now, they're... Uh, Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe is presiding over the chamber as we wait. Okay. Um, Now, I know the legislative session kicked off last week. And, Jason, um, last week on the show, St. Louis on the Air, we did talk to Speaker of the House Elijah Har about his agenda. He told us his biggest priority is the budget. I guess that makes sense. This is something they have to figure out this year. Yeah, that's the one aspect of legislative governance that lawmakers actually must complete. And if they don't complete it by a certain time, they go into an automatic special session. I'm not really anticipating there being like major conflicts with the budget. I'm sure that there'll be some smaller issues that there are differences between the House and Senate. But I do know from listening to the Speaker of the House, I think he's concerned about the long term, what the effects of a a lawsuit against the Department of Corrections is going to be, whether there's an economic downturn and the like. So I think that they're maybe trying to plan ahead for some not-so-good budget years in in the near future. And when we talked to House Speaker Elijah Har, he's a Republican from Springfield, and we had talked to him about the fact that the mayors and police chiefs of Missouri's major cities, that's St. Louis, Kansas City, Springfield, and Columbia, had met with Governor Parson in late November and had lobbied for some of these changes to gun reform. He said that just wasn't something um, that he, Speaker Har, was open to. And it's interesting sorry, because... Sorry, uh, Sarah, Jason, yes. I just wanted to interrupt. The governor did enter the chamber, and he is shaking hands. He's getting a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of applause. He's shaking a lot of hands. Uh, Every member that is on the center aisle there, he's shaking everyone's hand from the right side to the left side. So he has entered the chamber um, and we can expect to hear from him shortly. Jason, you've been to these things before. Is there um, pressure for somebody like the governor to just get every single hand that's outstretched? Uh, Yeah, probably. And I've shaken 
a lot of governors' hands. I think that they're pretty adept at doing that. And uh, I, I would I would rate uh, Governor Parson's handshake uh, fair, fairly high on the scale of, of people who can give good handshakes. Well, Jason, that's some, that's some really great insight there. That, and that's I'm, why I'm glad you had me you, on. That's right. You really know this political scene. <laughs> Going back to more serious topics here, um, Elijah Har not being open to those gun reforms, uh, Governor Parson had previously called it a, quote, reasonable ask. And so I asked Speaker Har if the governor had even broached the topic of gun reform with him. Here's what he said. He has never once brought the issue of, uh, of gun control up with me. Are you surprised that he'd give this sort of public blessing to the plan and then not do anything behind the scenes to follow up with the person who could make it happen? You know, I've, I, I've had a few conversations with the governor and um, his words to me is that he believes he was taken out of context, that he's very focused on violence in the major cities, but, but he has not made any ask of us to do anything on gun reform. So he believes the, the idea of this being something he blessed was, was taken out of context? That's how he related to us. That's House Speaker Elijah Har. Uh, Jason Rosenbaum, how do you take that? It seemed like the governor was on board for this, and yet Elijah Har is saying he did not even approach them to try to get the House leadership interested. You know, I can't peer into the mind and soul of Governor Parson or Elijah Har, but maybe the conflict here is the term gun control. Because, I mean, restricting somebody's ability, be it a child or a domestic abuser's ability to get a gun, by definition, is controlling uh, someone's ability to get a gun. It is gun control. And uh, Sarah Jason, oh, Jacqueline? Uh, L- Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe is introducing Governor Mike Parson. He just uh, uh, introduced him. The chamber is cheering and clapping, and the governor is approaching the microphone. Great. And so your sense is that he's, he's getting ready to talk really soon here? Yes, it, he's he's up, he's waving, and he's at the microphone. We're still getting several applause. He's waving some more. <laughs> I actually can't see him personally. Uh, I have to look at a TV where I'm situated, but it the applause is dying down, and it, it seems as though he's ready to address the crowd. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jacqueline. Let's thank listen. Thank you very much. Statewide leaders, legislators, and special guests, thank you for the warm welcome and the honor of being here today to present the State of the State. It was not too long ago that I stood here and laid out a bold plan for the future of Missouri. Back then, many were worried about the direction of our state. Some of you were probably worried about how your new governor would lead and address the problems within Missouri. But because I love this state and the people of this state, I knew I was ready for that challenge. And with your help, ready to chart a new path for Missouri, a path that would push us to the forefront of the nation, providing more opportunities for our citizens and make Missouri a destination for others around the country ready to embrace our show-me way of life. I also want to thank the many of you in this room and the thousands around the state who had confidence in me, supported my vision, and offered me patience at a trying time for Missouri. Even though it was a challenging time, it was also an opportunity to do things differently, to tackle tough problems and propose bold solutions. And with your help, we have made tremendous progress. That is why I am confident telling you today that the state of our state is strong, and by working together, we will be ready for an even better future.
One year ago, I told you my administration would take a very disciplined approach to working for the people of Missouri, and that workforce development and infrastructure must be our dedicated priorities. Focusing on these issues would allow us to not only make short-term gains for our state, but also provide long-term stability and a solid foundation for future generations. They were issues that we worked on together, regardless of party or regions of the state. And most importantly, after listening to community, civic, and business leaders from across Missouri, I knew they shared the same belief that these issues would help strengthen every community across our state. In fact, in just a single year, Missouri's workforce develop agenda was caught the attention of the rest of the country. Our states are now what other states are watching us now and taking notes, and we are rapidly working towards our goals of becoming the best in the Midwest and, frankly, the best in the nation. For example, through our collaboration with employers, we now have 42,000 Missourians signed up for on-the-job training through the One Start program, 42,000. We have reached second in the nation for apprenticeships, and we fully intend to keep that momentum going. Our fast-track scholarship program has reached hundreds of applications, and I am very proud that these scholarships and primarily used at our community college, where women make up 61% of the total enrollment. Another workforce development program I'm very proud is Aspire Mo, a 20-week program that helps incarcerated women develop business plans and prepare for successful reentry into the workforce. Here with us today in the upper gallery is Emily Kershaw and Nagela Gibbs. Both of these ladies served in the Vandalia Women's Correction Center. Both of them would tell you they made poor choices in their past. But they stand before us today as graduates of Aspire Mo. Through this program, they have shown dedication to learning new skills, taking responsibility, getting back on their feet and into the workforce. Ms. Kirchhoff is employed at a call center that connects veterans to health care services. Mrs. Gibbs is employed at AmeriCold, a storage and logistic company in St. Louis. And if we are to be a society that believes in forgiveness and second chances, then it is the next chapter in their lives that will matter most. Please join me in recognizing Mrs. Kirchhoff and Mrs. Gibbs.
Please know we believe in you. We support you, and we wish you the best in the days to come. The opportunities we have provided for individuals to better themselves and in return provide a more stable environment for their families will truly change lives long after all of us are gone. When we talk about these successes in workforce development, it is also worth pointing out that real incomes are rising faster than any time in recent history. More people have more money in their pockets and the tax cuts at the state and the federal level are absolutely having a positive impact here in Missouri. Missouri now ranks seventh in the nation for small business wage growth. And at a 3.1%, our unemployment rate continues to remain at historic lows. And what has been below the national unemployment rate for 40 consecutive months? Another example that Missouri's growth is strong and that we are on the right track. Not to mention that the African-American unemployment rate in Missouri has dropped from over 10% in 2014 to 5.5% today, nearly in half. And our workforce efforts have created over 40,000 new jobs, 40 new thousand jobs here in Missouri. And more importantly, it is the private sector that is driving these investments, not government. And here are just a few examples. A Fortune 250 agribusiness company, Bungie, announced the relocation of its global headquarters from New York to St. Louis. Bayer announced it will add 500 new jobs to the St. Louis region. And Pfizer also invested over $230 million. Boeing secured a $16 billion contract to build the TX trainer. And the NGA West just broke ground on their billion-dollar campus in St. Louis. And on the other side of the state, companies like Swiss Re, Farisha, CVS, and Waldell Reed have made huge investments in the area. And, of course, Kansas City beat more than 130 other cities around the country to land two divisions from the USDA and over 500 new jobs for the first time in our nation's history. Our big cities aren't the only ones generating new jobs and attracting investment. Briggs and Stratton is creating 130 new jobs in Poplar Bluff. Dollar, 
Dollar Tree is investing $110 million for a new distribution center in Warrensburg, creating 375 new jobs. Nucor Steel, the largest steel company in the United States, is close to production at its $250 million steel mill and will create 250 new jobs in Sedalia, Missouri. Aurora Organic Dairy opened a new processing plant in Columbia, creating over 100 new jobs. And Perina invested $115 million to expand in Bloomfield, Missouri. And just... And about one month ago, General Motors announced one of the largest single project investments in our state's history in Winsville with a $1.5 billion investment to build mid-sized trucks for North America, and we like our trucks here in Missouri. This is just the beginning, and these successes will help us build further momentum. All of these are shared successes and show that by working together, our investments in workforce development and infrastructure are succeeding. I am proud to report we ex exceeded even our own estimates, and the result has been a better cost savings and more projects for the people of Missouri. As a matter of fact, Senator Schatz, Representative Ruth, I want to thank you for your leadership on getting the bridge bonding resolution completed and let you know that our first round of bonds was achieved at an interest rate at 1.25. And what triggered these bonds was an $80.2 million infra grant from the United States Department of Transportation to build the Roachport Bridge. Even more to celebrate are the vital grants we have received to complete the MacArthur Bridge in St. Louis, make significant improvements to the Riverport in Cape Girardeau, solidify the East Locust Reservoir Project in northern Missouri, and finally wrap up funding for the I-49 Bella Vista Bypass in southwest Missouri. I appreciate the support and leadership from our federal delegation in securing those funds, especially Congressman Sam Graves and Senator Roy Blunt. These projects are critically important to the regions, and I am proud of MoDOT's hard work to leverage, leverage every tax dollar to the fullest and make our transportation system safer for all Missourians. In addition to these projects, we got even better return than expected on the infrastructure cost share program that you all passed. And I'm excited to tell you that this nearly $50 million investment 
will lead to nearly $150 million in new infrastructure investment and an economic impact of approximately $350 million. The bold infrastructure proposal we all worked on together have netted $1 billion in new projects across the state of Missouri. There is so much excitement and optimism across all parts of the state. But right here in Jefferson City, we shook things up a little more. We stopped talking about reform and pushed through real reforms that have changed state government for the better. Our first reorganization effort of state government took effect this past August, impacting hundreds of state employees. These changes represented the most significant reorganization of state government in decades. And, <laughs> this was the right thing to do, to make government more efficient, more accountable, and more customer-oriented to the people we serve. As part of our efforts to improve state government, we also successfully consolidated a state prison that will save us $22 million every year. And on top of this, through greater efficiency, better management, and more accountability to the Missouri taxpayers. We gave our state employees a much-needed pay raise. An effort like that does not happen if you don't have bold leaders who are dedicated to making state government better. So I would like to recognize all of my cabinet members seated in the rear gallery. Would you please stand and be recognized today? I am proud of the support and commitment you show this state every day, and it is my honor to work alongside you. We have made record improvements in just a short period of time, but I believe that there is still more to do and much more we can achieve with hard work. Of course, it is important to know that these bold ideas are working, but most importantly, is about the impact it has on the lives of everyday people in Missouri. That is why my call this legislative session is to propose initiatives aimed at building stronger communities, improving education and workforce development, revitalizing our infrastructure, and making government more accountable. It is critical to understand that all of these issues provide individuals with more opportunities to strengthen public safety and create healthier and more stable communities. And I have learned that no one knows more about their communities than the mayors. 
Seated in the upper gallery are the mayors and their chiefs of police of the four largest metro areas of our state. Mayor Quentin Lucas of Kansas City. Mayor Lida Krusen of St. Louis. This is special coverage of Missouri Governor Mike Parson's State of the State Address. Mayor Ken McClure of Springfield. And Mayor Brian Brees of Columbia. All of these mayors care deeply about their cities, just as I care deeply about our entire state. We all know that Missouri is diverse, and so are the opinions and needs of the people within it. But regardless of what part of the state we come from, we all want our communities to be safe. And we worry when we see violent criminals threatening our neighborhoods. That concern for our citizens brought the five of us together. Despite our varied backgrounds and differing opinions, we have stayed focused on what we can accomplish by working together, while also showing respect and willingness to listen to one another. These mayors understand my commitment to support the Second Amendment for law-abiding citizens. And let me be clear, during my six years in the United States Army, 22 years in law enforcement, and as a lifetime member of the NRA, I have never, ever wavered my support for the Second Amendment. But we all have to understand the very real issues of violent crime affecting our neighborhoods and the potential consequences of doing nothing. By working together, we have come up with a solution to help combat violent crime, such as providing greater protection for victims and witnesses, providing more mental health resources and services, and finally, strengthening our laws to target violent criminals. We, we won't always agree, and there will always be issues that we each feel passionately about. But I am confident that by working together, the potential for our regions and the entire state of Missouri is even greater. Please join me in recognizing our mayors and our police chiefs from Kansas City, St. Louis, Springfield, and Columbia, Missouri. We will continue 
to promote initiatives that incorporate more mental health resources into public safety, provide more targeted and tactical support of the pursuit of violent criminals, and encourage more coordination among law enforcement. We know some of these efforts are already paying off. Operation Triple Beam in Kansas City and our commitment of state personnel in St. Louis has achieved remarkable results, including the arrest of hundreds of violent criminals, gang members, and the seizure of nearly 30 pounds of illegal drugs. With us here today are members of the Missouri State Highway Patrol and the Division of Fire Safety who have been part of these efforts in St. Louis. Please join me in recognizing their hard work and commitment to protecting the people of Missouri. These results reflect real progress and show that by all of us working together, federal, state, and local law enforcement and community leaders, we can make a difference and keep violent criminals off our streets. I also want to point out that we included community leaders. As governor, I have the greatest honor and privilege of representing all parts of our state. But I have learned that the most powerful voices is often the ones in the communities. With us here today are several members of the Missouri Faith Leadership Coalition. I want to thank them for stepping up, leading by action and not just words, putting their communities and congregations ahead of politics, and helping me better understand the struggles their communities face. These leaders are also special to me because I know we all have a special faith. And it's that special faith that allowed us to look past whatever differences we may have and come together for a purpose higher than any one of us. Would the members of the Missouri Faith-Based Leadership Coalition please stand and be recognized. There is also another special guest I would like to recognize today, Mrs. Bernice Jones. By looking at us, you might not think Mrs. Jones and I have much in common. But one Saturday at a Grill for Glory event, we realized we both have an immense love for children. Mrs. Jones has 13 grandchildren, and I have six. Being a grandparent is something we both cherish. I also learned that Mrs. Jones has been involved in her same community in St. Louis for over 50 years. Keeping an eye on things, offering assistance to the youth, and always serving others. Sadly, she and I met because of a tragedy of children being shot in the streets. 
But this also made me realize something else very important about working together. We need to take more time to celebrate community leaders like Ms. Jones, who are making a real difference, not those who are trying to tear it apart and relish in the fear they create by headlines in the newspapers. When it is hard to find the light in a bad situation, sometimes the spark is all you need to get the fire going again. Mrs. Jones has been that spark in her community. She had the chance to leave, but she chose not to. Mrs. Jones stayed to fight the fight and was truly changed lives for the better. I had the opportunity to go to Mrs. Jones's home, a very humble home, typically like most of our grandmas would have, clean, well put together. And we sat there, and she sat on the couch, and I sat in a chair right beside her. And we visited, and she told me the trials she had living where she lived and things that were happening in her neighborhoods and her streets. And during that conversation, she pointed to the wall between me and her, which is about three feet apart. And she said, Governor, you see that hole right there? That's a bullet hole. Come into my house. People, we can do better. We can do better. And if all of us had a few minutes and a little bit of time to spend a little time with Mrs. Jones, and we all worked a little harder to understand what she goes through, this state and this nation would be better off. Please help me recognize Mrs. Jones in the upper gallery. As a former sheriff, it is important to me that we also give special thanks to those who risk their lives to keep ours safe. Our law enforcement emergency personnel do a job that most of us don't want to do, but others expect them to do it. We must trust them, and we must stand up for these brave men and women. I hope that this legislative session Serious time and consideration will be given to these proposals to strengthen our communities. While reducing violent crime is our immediate goal, I strongly believe that at the end of the day, it's about better education and skills to get a quality job, that because that is going to be the long-term solution. Last year, our workforce development efforts focused on new training opportunities for working adults. However, in some of the most troubling communities, or any community in Missouri for that matter, our children are the true workforce of tomorrow. The most important and impactful time of a child's development is the early years of his or her life. And Missouri recently received a $33.5 million preschool development grant aimed at creating a more effective, high-quality, early learning system 
With this funding, we have the opportunity to strengthen our early childhood offerings and better prepare Missouri children for success, which is crucial to the development of our strong workforce. In addition to early childhood education, we will also focus on increasing opportunities for high demand training at the high school level. We need to ensure our students understand the many opportunities out there, whether it be going into the workforce, the military, a community college, a technical school, or a four-year degree. Currently in Missouri, approximately 30% of our population has a four-year degree with a college or university, meaning that 70% do not. We need to move away from the stigma that not having a college degree is a failure, when in fact, there are many other excellent education and job training opportunities. This is why we are seeking $750,000 to certify approximately 12,000 new high school students as work ready through the Work Keys program. And this is a major step that could open doors to students, not sure of colleges or immediate plans, but still put them on a path to greater opportunities. In addition, we are proposing greater access to virtual education for high school students, as well as homeschool students. And we will also be working to expand opportunities through Jobs for American Graduates, a program that helps youth graduate from high school and transition to the workforce. And for our college-bound students, we have secured a total of $5.3 million to increase Bright Flight and A-plus scholarship funding. <clears throat> we are also proposing another $19 million for the MoExcel's Workforce Initiative. And we can do all of this while increasing school transportation funding and still fully funding our foundation formula. This is special coverage of Missouri Governor Mike Parson's State of the State Address. This focus on training our future workforce has been a true collaborative effort, and I greatly appreciate the partnership you've had from the private sector and the education arena. Many of these changes to our workforce system would not be possible without our teachers. And that's why I also want to start discussing ways to improve teacher pay.
However, the solution cannot just be asking the state to write a bigger check. We're going to ask school districts, school boards, and DESE to propose a better plan and a bold plan for our teachers. Being an educator today is not an easy job. By supporting them, we also support our children, their futures, and the future of our state. Here with us today is the Missouri Teacher of the Year, Misty, Misty Grando, from Fortland R3 High School. No person has a greater impact on our children's education than teachers who helps them flourish and grow. Mrs. Grandel is a shining example of this. Please join me in recognizing the Missouri Teacher of the Year, Ms. Grandel. And to all Missouri's outstanding educators, thank you for what you do. The next phase of our plan will help continue our momentum, but we can't emphasize workforce development without infrastructure. That is a big reason why approximately $5 billion in new private investment has poured into our state, while our unemployment remains at record lows why we are pulling ahead of our neighboring states, and we must keep up this hard work. And we will continue to build our critical infrastructure. And we will once again propose setting aside $4 million in disaster recovery funds. Unfortunately, the flooding we saw last year was some of the worst we have seen in decades, and even historically. But I want to truly thank the work of Senator Hageman Representative Andrews and the other legislators for their leadership in their communities during these trying times. Despite these challenges, we have still made some major accomplishments worth celebrating. We have proven that we can get through tough times, and together we are creating a new horizon of opportunity for infrastructure in our state. Some of the most exciting infrastructure investments we'll see this year can be tied back to the Bold Bridge Infrastructure Plan that you as legislators passed. More than 250 bridges around the state will be repaired or replaced. These bridges are not only critically important to their local communities, but also to public safety. And for example, by combining our bridge proposal with federal funding secured by Congressman Graves, Missouri is now on track to significantly reduce the number of deficient bridges in the 6th Congressional District, which encompasses nearly half of the entire state, and that is a major milestone. One of the benefits of the plan we laid out last year was not only the immediate impact, but also the additional resources it would free up for other critical projects. An example of this is MoDOT's recent announcement of a huge investment to rebuild a substantial portion of I-270 throughout North County. This renovation has been needed for a long time, 
And because of our bold steps and MoDOT's innovation, we have made a real change to this system. And another very successful part of our transportation plan last year was the cost share program. And I am excited to announce that we will again be putting another $50 million towards the cost share program this year. And before I move on, there is one more very special project that I'm so proud to announce, especially in front of Mayor Lucas and our Kansas City delegation. And that is, we will build the Buck O'Neill Bridge. These investments are exciting to celebrate, and we have been working hard to make them a reality. We have also been driving greater efficiency and more accountability for Missourians, hard-earned tax dollars, so that we can reap those returns without increasing taxes. By rolling up our sleeves and doing the hard work, we have generated impressive cost savings. The single largest area we have been able to find savings is the Medicaid system, which accounts for over $10 billion, over one-third of our state budget. Under the leadership of Director Todd Richardson, a new level of accountability and enforcement have been put back in place, both common-sense things expected by the average Missourian. The results has been a savings of 84 million dollars, further protecting citizens who need the services most, and taxpayers who deserve their tax dollars be used wisely. While some in the press are eager to criticize the improved efficiency, or outright broken for many years and unpredictability serving every Missourian who is paying for it. At the same time, opponents have been criticizing our increased accountability. They have also been promoting expanding the system. But the reality is that expanding the system comes at the cost of other vital services, such as education, workforce development, and improving our aging infrastructure. So make no mistake about it. The vague proposal they are not explaining or purposely withholding is a massive tax increase that Missourians cannot afford. The hard work we are doing to drive efficiency 
isn't just by supporting policy provisions. It is fundamentally reforming state government and driving accountability across all systems. This is a major shift from the same old style of government that is often supported, where small changes are made around the edges. But real changes are thought too big and too hard to do. My administration has and will continue to do the hard work. And the benefit will be for Missouri taxpayers. The progress we are making is real and exciting. But there is more we can do to improve government and promote our state. We must have a real discussion about tort reform in the legislature. This is special coverage of Missouri Governor Mike Parson's State of the State Address. And another simple way we can improve government and promote Missouri is by offering licensed reciprocity to the spouses of the men and women who proudly serve our country in the United States military. As a veteran myself, I am proud that Missouri is home to over 480,000 veterans, and I hope that we can bring more to our state. Allowing licensed reciprocity would not only help us attract more military families, but also fill critical jobs in our economy. And Senator Brown and Representative Lynch, I am counting on you to get that legislation on my desk as soon as possible. From the beginning, our state's economy and future financial health have always been of the utmost importance to our administration. And it is our responsibility to pass this on to the next generation. So I have one last proposal I will outline today. As mentioned before, my administration has been more serious than any other in our financial discipline. We have led by example, and again, we will be leaving over a hundred million dollars on the bottom line. However, We can do more, which is why I'm supporting that we put a cash operating expense fund in place to give our state greater flexibility and stronger finances than ever before. Since the beginning of our administration, our state treasurer, our budget director, my chief of staff have been discussing this opportunity, and I am proud that we can finally make this vision a reality. To initiate this fund, I am proposing set aside $100 million this year, and to ensure this saving remains stable, 
we will direct Wayfair collections into this fund until it establishes solvency. And we must use the remaining portion to pay off debt obligation as provide another funding mechanism for infrastructure programs done at a cost share basis. This final allocation would both increase the long-term financial strength of our state and create another consistent funding source to further upgrade our aging infrastructure. Our pro-growth policies and conservative budgeting are working. And together, we can set the stage for greatness for Missouri and our future generations. It is no secret that there are elections in the coming months. Everyone here is well aware of this. But I'm sure there are some of you here at the end of your term that feel a little differently about the coming months. When returning home to the people you serve, at the forefront of your mind will be what you accomplish to help improve your communities. If we thought more about what we accomplished at the end of our time, we would likely spend our days a little differently. My guess is that we would spend less time fighting each other over the few differences we have and more time working on the things that we agree on. We have all seen what the outcome of this behavior is when we watch what is going on in Washington, D.C. Surely we can do better. Surely, as the show-me state, where our namesake inherently promotes actions and results over words, we have a higher sense of obligation to work together. Some may argue that all these victories are just coincidental, but I firmly believe they are not. I believe it is about a commitment to finding a solution while still standing up for your values. For me... These values, like my faith, my family, and our nation's flag. And another value I will always stand up for is protecting those who cannot protect themselves. And all life has value, including the unborn. Perhaps it's my gray hair, but I am at the time in my career when what I leave behind and how I leave it is more important than impressing people and worrying about who I am not. Make no mistake, in this arena you will be attacked. You will have to endure reading nothing but speculation about your motives, your commitment, and your beliefs. But you also have to choose to stand up against these attempts to divide one another and instead be a leader. And as long as I'm allowed to serve the people, I will work hard to make Missouri better and hand it off to whomever follows me in better shape than I received it.
So my final call is to challenge each of you to know one another better. This also means that we have to be willing to trust one another more. And my hope in the near future is that all of us will be able to celebrate more successes with one another. But the real benefits will be for the people of Missouri and our future generations. So in an effort to lead by example, I will go a little off script tonight and tell you something personally about myself. I might as well, because no telling what you will hear about me from someone else who will falsely claim to know what's in my heart. I was raised by parents of the greatest generation. I was one of four brothers that was born in a hospital. I served this country for six years in the United States Army. And without, without that experience, I would not be able to stand before you today. I attended college, but I never finished. But I still believe in the promise of America and the American dream. And all the people that I've had a chance to meet and encounter in my life, the person I have been most inspired by was a single mother with two children. that I met over 35 years ago. She had the fierce loyalty to her children that exemplified what true love really means. She had a kindness and a way of creating that only mothers are known for. She had a true strength and independence that a lot of us men try to fake. She was honest and humble, and through grit and determination, she rose to the highest levels of the banking industry, even though she was often passed over for promotions by men. She helped start a small business and managed the books in the evenings. She trusted me to come into her and her children's lives and to love them and take care of them like my own. Together we have watched our children grow into wonderful adults and now have their own families and have given us six beautiful grandchildren. And through it all, she's as beautiful and graceful as the days she was 35 years ago. I met her making a deposit at the bank 
and she is the one that has allowed me to be a father, a grandfather, and the best person that I know how to be. Teresa, I will never have done this without you and have only been able to achieve it because of you. It is a honor and a privilege to be the 57th governor alongside exceptional first lady. God bless you. God bless the great state of Missouri. God bless the United States of America. Thank you very much. And that was Missouri, Mike, Missouri Governor Mike Parson delivering the State of the State Address, outlining his priorities for the legislative session and getting a little personal there at the end. I'm Sarah Fenske, host at St. Louis Public Radio, and we're joined by our sister stations in Missouri. That's KCUR in Kansas City, KBIA in Columbia, KSMU in Springfield, and KRCU in Cape Girardeau. We'll hear Auditor Nicole Galloway's Democratic response in just a moment. Reporter Jason Rosenbaum joins me in the studio here in St. Louis. Jason, what stood out to you in the governor's speech? What stood out to me is that he did spend a lot of time talking about crime in the state's biggest cities and talked about better protections for witnesses and victims and talked about mental health resources and also strengthening laws to, to against violent criminals. But he didn't really specify what that was. And at, at a meeting with the mayors, he talked about keeping guns out of the hands of of, of minors and domestic abusers and I would assume felons as well. But he didn't really mention that in the speech. And I think a big hang up of a lot of people is just using the term gun control, even though I mentioned before he started, like those by definition are is gun control. Uh, I also was interested about the, the teacher pay part. I think that that is definitely a big issue. I found it myself with special education stuff. But Finding some state involvement of that, it, it still was, remains to be seen. It was kind of strange the way he phrased that. He almost said he wants them to come to him with a proposal. Do you think that's a way that, that's likely to get some traction? It, it depends because most education spending is done locally via property taxes, and there is significant state support. But I, I can't imagine a significant increase in teacher pay happening without state involvement, i.e. money. So – I would have to imagine it would have to be a combination of both, and it may be a discussion that's years long before there's a solution. Overall, do you see this speech as more of a series of policy proposals or more of a political stump speech? I mean, every state-of-the-state speech has political overtones. Even the governor mentioned the fact that this is an election year. Um, But I think state-of-the-state speeches tend to set a, a real policy agenda. He did that last year in 2019. Even this is actually the 11th anniversary of Governor Matt Blunt's state, last state-of-the-state speech. Even in that speech, when he decided not to run for another term, he did chart like some ideas that eventually did get implemented. Well, now let's listen to the Democratic response. And this year, it's delivered by Missouri Auditor Nicole Galloway. And Galloway, of course, is running for governor. She hopes to unseat Mike Parson, who we just heard this whole speech from in the November election. And just a note that this response is a departure from the way the minority party usually responds. It's not so much a speech as almost a campaign commercial. You'll hear two other voices before you even hear Auditor Nicole Galloway. Let's listen. My name is Heather Aller, and I've been in Missouri pretty much my whole life. I grew up on this land. 
that we're standing on and played here as a kid. I have a son, his name is Robbie, he's 15. My name is Deidre Wortham, and I stay in the Walnut Park East neighborhood. That's North City, St. Louis. My son's name is Aiden, he's a sportsman. He loves everything about sports. Governor Parson has kicked 100,000 Missouri children off of their health care. This is impacting families across the state. Aiden, he struggles with severe anxiety and um, ADHD. I take him down to a clinic, and Aiden loves his therapist. So it's real important that I get him in there to see her because Aiden have a lot of breakdowns. And when he got there, we found out that my son did not have health insurance. He broke down that day, and it was not one doctor that he could see that day. There's no way in the world that he should have had to go through that. I felt like I wasn't protecting my son like I was supposed to, and that's a bad feeling. When I first found out, that the kids had lost their health care. We were at the doctor's office. He was standing on the trailer, and he went tumbling and fell off the back and hit the top of his head. And he started hollering, Mom, Mom, help. And he's like, I can't move. I'm sitting there. I'm holding my kids still, and I'm thinking about how much the ambulance is going to cost us. Nobody should have to worry when their kid falls off a trailer or they get stung by a bee or asthma attack or... They should just be able to get health care. Access to health care is a right, and you shouldn't have to decide, uh, you know, between putting food on the table for your family and getting the health care that you need for you or your kids. Governor Parson, he caused this problem, and in his state of the state, it is unlikely Governor Parson is going to address it or provide a solution. We deserve better than that. He needs to fix the health care crisis he helped create and give children back their health care. The governor clearly doesn't care. He don't care. Because if he did, he would have he done something. All the people that were kicked off of the health care need to be reinstated now. We have to do better by our children. And that was Missouri Auditor Nicole Galloway delivering the Democratic response to Governor Mike Parson's State of the State address. St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jason Rosenbaum is with me in studio. Jason, you've been covering politics for a while in Missouri. Have you ever seen an official response like this from the opposing party? No, because most official responses have been straight to the camera talking about a multitude of issues. Auditor Galloway didn't do that. It was like a produced uh, vignette and video by her campaign and featuring other people besides her. And it was laser focused on this issue of children on Missouri's Medicaid system losing their coverage. So that that was striking because Democrats have, in Missouri have been talking about expanding access to Medicaid literally now for 15 or 16 years since the aforementioned Matt Blunt and the Republican legislature cut eligibility. 2020 is going to be a climactic battle for that because Medicaid expansion will likely be on the ballot. And I think it's going to be a big issue between uh, Parson and Galloway, even though the issue she was talking about, I think, is, is somewhat separate from what we're talking about. It just it, it remains to be seen whether that's going to be compelling enough for, for Galloway to win. Obviously, the political demographics of Missouri have changed dramatically, even going back to 2005 and 2004. 
and she needs to bring back a lot of people from rural and exurban Missouri that have abandoned Missouri Democrats over that time. Now, we know that there's a study from Georgetown's Health Policy Institute that it does say that more kids lost health insurance in Missouri from 2016 to 2018 than any other state. So that is a fact. I guess the question is, is it fair to lay that at the feet of Governor Parson? Well, it's his administration, and his administration runs Missouri's Medicaid program. But, you know, we've done a lot of reporting on this, and from 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 talking with, uh, for example, Medicaid Director Todd Richardson, I, I would I would say that they would point to various reasons that uh, for that there could be instances where a, a family had access to Medicaid when they weren't eligible. But you've also heard stories of people that have said they clearly were eligible and are having a lot of trouble getting their coverage back. So I, I would say that it's a really complex issue. That even if Galloway wins and tries to get her hands around it, I don't think it's as easy as turning a switch on. It would require a lot of work. Fair to say, though, based on this being her response, that this is the only issue she really touches on, that this is going to be the major theme of this campaign? It or? could it could be. Um, but I, I have to imagine it's going to be multi more multi-layered to that. I've seen on Twitter a lot of surrogates for Galloway talking about the, the lack of job growth in rural Missouri. And I think that's their hook to try to gain the ground back that they've lost so badly, and by they I mean Democrats. I, I, I think, though, that may not be enough, especially with Trump's popularity in rural Missouri likely trickling down and helping Parson. But we'll have to see. I think everyone is expecting a very competitive race. It's one of the few gubernatorial races in the country that could be competitive. So there's going to be a lot of national resources and excitement going into it. Real quick here. um, In his speech, Governor Parson talked about violent crime being an immediate goal, but he said that better education and job skills are the long-term solution. With this agenda he's outlined in this speech, do you think he's putting his money where his mouth is in that sentiment? It, It remains to be seen. Like, it's one thing to make a speech like this. It's another to, you know, come up with a budget that actually puts resources to that goal. And I don't disagree with him. I think that those are long-term solutions. But if those were the long-term solutions, then why aren't they in place now? And a lot of the answer could be a lack of cohesion between state and local officials. We'll have to see if that cohesion manifests itself over the 2020 session. So there'll be a lot to watch here in the next couple months. Yes. Well, I want to say thank you to St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jason Rosenbaum for being with me in our St. Louis studio. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. And thanks to our statewide audience in St. Louis, Rolla, and the Hannibal area, as well as KCUR in Kansas City, KBIA in Columbia, KSMU in Springfield, and KRCU in Cape Girardeau. You've been listening to special coverage of the Missouri State of the State Address and the Democratic response to it. In St. Louis, I'm Sarah Fenske. Thank you for listening. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.